The uh, subject for the evening talk is a commentary on the Heart Sutra. Sutra means talk. And the Heart Sutra is a talk which was which has become one of the most best known and best loved of the uh, talks and it is uh, reputed to have been um, given by Avaloka Shivara and it is a talk which through the generations of people of uh, practice particularly in the Mahayana tradition has been um, referred to with great frequency is regularly recited in monasteries and is with regarded with great respect for the deep revelations and insights which emerge from it. It is not a uh, long uh, sutra or talk. It is short, terse, um, directly to the point and is what has emerged out of clear, direct seeing. And in this um, talk with you this, this evening, I would like, if I may, to um, read the sutra and then give some commentary on uh, aspects of it. It says, when Avalokiteshvara was engaged in the practice of, of the deep Pragna Paramita, Pragna means wisdom, paramita means fullness, perfection, completion. He perceived that there are the five aggregates, I'll explain this as we go, and these he saw in their nature to be empty. O Saraputra, one of the disciples, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Form is no other than emptiness, Emptiness is no other than form. That which is form is emptiness. That which is emptiness is form. The same can be said of feelings, of perceptions, of mental movement and consciousness. O Saraputra, all things here are characterized with emptiness. They are not born. They are not annihilated. They are not tainted. They are not pure. They do not increase. Things do not decrease. Therefore, as Saraputra, in emptiness there is no form, no feelings, no perceptions, no mental activity, no consciousness. In emptiness there is no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, no form, sound, colour, taste, touch, objects. There is no knowledge, no ignorance, no old age and death, no extinction of old age and death. There is no suffering, no accumulation, no annihilation, no path. There is no knowledge, no attainment and no realization. In the mind of one who dwells in Pragna Paramita, there are no hindrances, there are no perverted views. All the Buddhas of the past, present and future rely on Pragna Paramita and thus attain to enlightenment. Therefore, one ought to know that Pragna Paramita is the great 
mantra, the great the mantra of wisdom, the highest mantra, the peerless mantra. It, it, it is true because it is not false, and thus it is proclaimed in the Pragna Paramita, Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasamagate, Bodhishvaha, which means O Bodhi, O Enlightenment, gone, gone, gone to the other shore, landing, landed at the other shore. So the Sutra, that is the full Sutra, and the Sutra is basically, as I mentioned, a through the vehicle of language, a comment or a statement about ultimate nature. And as I mentioned, I would like to take a small number of uh, statements within that and endeavour to give some commentary on. Avaloka Shivara says, O Saraputra, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And he repeats that um, twice to communicate what that means. In this, we can take and look initially at a relative viewpoint. And it's important in any inquiry into life to see and to understand, as we observe again and again, that things are not always as they appear to be. And this is the initial understanding of inquiry into the nature of things, that things are not as they appear to be. When we can take that as an initial turning point of consciousness, an initial emphasis within our seeing into life, then we can inquire into the fields of what appears to be opposite. We can inquire into what appears to be dramatically, fundamentally, radically different from everything that we have assumed to the point where Avalokiteshvara is able to, to, to state in no uncertain terms, no form, no, sense, no feelings, no mental activities, no consciousness, no sight, sound, colour, taste or touch, no old age, no death, no suffering, no beginning, no ending, no path, no realisation. So when one hears this in, a, in a, an absolutist way, succinctly stated, and it's totally foreign. One mind and thought and idea seems far, far away from all that is familiar. And thus, things to see, things are not as they appear to be. So if we look <coughs> and we... And we start from as much as and as clearly as possible from where we are. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And therefore, any relative inquiry is initially to see, well, what's actually my relationship to life? How do I, as a human being, look at life? And in that (coughs) 
looking, we see again and again through countless modes that we are actively involved and concerned with form. We're concerned with form each time that we open our eyes and our ears. There's the form of a visible object with its color and shape and tone registering. There's the form of the sound, smell, taste and touch. All of that is a form. There's a texture. There's a, a context in which all that shows itself exists to us. And we see too that applies at what we describe the personal level, the physical level. It takes form and within the form of the body there are countless other forms. And we look too at our relationship to our mind and all that takes place Within that, we're constantly seeing the different formations that the mind takes. So here we are living and experiencing a world of form. And in that reconnection and in that relationship, we see that there are some forms which we assume and we appreciate and we like, we identify with, and we build up and give a certain substantiality to. We give it a substantiality through two modes of movement of mind, primarily likes and dislikes. When the mode of mind in its liking and disliking motion takes place, that which we have gone towards, either inwardly or outwardly through, the, the disposition of liking and disliking takes a solid basis for us. It assumes a certain reality, a particularization takes place. <coughs> we see too in this world which we, we live in that, with the, that the world isn't only and cannot just be described as having form. To, to see that way would mean that there would be utter congestion, so to speak. Therefore, form has its expression and its manifestation in conjunction with non-form, in conjunction with spaciousness, in conjunction with a certain absence of a certain emptiness from. So sometimes the world seems full, sometimes it there's, we're not concerned with form and there's a certain emptiness present. Emptiness or spaciousness meaning the absence of form. And to that also we have a particular relationship. We have a relationship to it that sometimes <coughs> we appreciate the lack of form. We appreciate openness. We appreciate the lack of structure. We appreciate the lack of concept the lack of mental activity, the lack of connection with the form of the body and openness. And sometimes too we find the lack of form, the lack of structure in whatever mode that shows itself as difficult to live with, difficult to work with. We can feel fear and feel loss in, in a certain spaciousness, in a certain absence of form or emptiness. Emptiness using it only in a relative mode at the moment. 
And so our life, we might say, to some extent, to some degree, is distinguished by a movement in life between a relationship with form and the relationship of absence of form. And it seems to us, in our mode of mind, with its likes and dislikes, that one is noticeably different and distinct from the other. And sometimes we feel comfortable with one, sometimes comfortable with the other, sometimes uncomfortable with one or the other. And Avalokiteshvara says, O Sariputra, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. So there's a pointing out, a, dis, uh, um, uh, a statement which being, is being made to us that this seemingly and sometimes almost insurmountable difference between the countless forms that you and I experience and the modes of absence of form actually are not as they appear to be. In fact, they are indistinguishable from each other. And so they begin to see, and seeing is the key always, they be begin to see that in spite of the variety of movement of mind and the shape and fashion that it takes, in the deepening of meditation and the balance and the stabilizing element that comes from balance, then the polarization of separation is no longer as rigid and as fixed and cannot be assumed like we used to. So through that awareness, through that uh, inquiry, through that comprehension of mind and, and, its, and its movement, form and spaciousness, form and emptiness are not separate from each other. And if that's the case, if, that, if we can get a, a sense of that and within the, the deeper meditative pro processes, processes of life, perhaps that initial comment of Avaloka Shivara is somewhere the gateway into the mystery of life which truly makes consciousness, let us say, or makes our whole understanding of life do a utter about turn. That each assumption and opinion and view, no matter how much it's based on experience, no matter how much it's based on a relative understanding about life, somehow is going to be negated. What we have, 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 have assumed is from a relative mode or sphere of way of looking. Sariputra goes on in the next, and he says here that all things are characterized with emptiness. In our looking 
and our, our relationship to life, it's essential that we look and see conventionally. And in our conventional seeing, we can take it further and deeper with ourselves. And I appreciate um, in this kind of uh, talk and uh, subject matter, not very, not very easy to follow. In our, in our conventional view of life, we ex experience a relationship to life, and in that relationship to life, certain assumptions are made. And because of the assumption, not the reality, it determines our relationship to life and our action. And the sutra is to question assumptions, to question them to the degree with a ruthless integrity and investigation that one negates, here's the significance of emptiness, one negates the assumptions so dramatically that they cannot be replaced with anything else, including the assumption of emptiness. In a conventional mind, with its normal, everyday activities of living and dealing with this world, the world appears to us and shows itself to be full of differences. That the differences themselves have such a diversity to them that they give to our life, and it has to be acknowledged, variety and exploration and interest and a whole gamut of changeable experiences. And within that way of living and our looking at life, it appears equally that everything in a particular way is quite distinct from everything else. We may say, see a certain sameness at times, but generally the distinction is what stands out. He from she, this from that, here from there. So diversity is the norm of our daily life. And that diversity which we have with regard to daily life gives as an assumption that each thing, thing is a very important word, whether it's sentient or insentient, each thing has its own self-existence. The very appearance, the very looking at different forms, colors, shapes, personalities, structures, etc., make that seem like that. Truly different. And so there appears to be almost a sense of uniqueness and individuality with regard to all things in life. This at times we can appreciate because of their diversity and sometimes we don't appreciate because their diversity means separation from, separation means a certain alienation from. And so Putra is told, things are not born, they are not annihilated. They are not impure, 
they are not pure. They do not increase, they do not decrease. And he's talking about things. And one hears this, and, and one's eyes, ears, mind, heart, how can it comprehend that? How can it, one say peop, things don't come and go? People don't, are not born and dying. Um, how, can, how can one say that things don't increase and grow and decrease and wither and fa fade away? And in our looking, in our, our observation, the way of looking has an and significant insofar as the movement of mind to see diversity, important now, in the movement of our mind to see diversity means that it is particularizing. It is taking up. And in our taking up and particularizing, there is a certain bringing out from. And in our bringing out from, through the mode of our consciousness or cognition, we create a separation. And we see too in our life that our language and our words, our nouns and our verbs and our predicates and the adjectives, the, 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 the spectrum of verbalization, all of that seems to increase the sense, nearly all of the language, of separation and distinction. And we are so familiar through the mode of thought, words, labels and concepts about doing this that we assume, because I do this, and because I see all others seemingly doing it, because this is the structure and form of my mind, Therefore, it's true as the way the world is. And one has to be watchful and mindful and not falling into the ideational trap of the mind creates the world, the whole world exists in one's mind, the mind is a create, the world is an uh, expression of oneself, that is another assumption, another viewpoint, and basically it's a projection. Going too far to say that the mind creates the world. And with this particularization which takes place, and through the taking up of something, in whatever way that we do that, then we begin to fasten onto it. And we, in our taking up of something, we say that something is born, that it uh, grows and develops, that it changes, that it fades and it passes away. And that's true, providing we're holding and working from an assumption of specialization. The specialization of the view that each thing has its own self-existence. I wonder. I wonder whether it is possible 
in this vastness or anything or anyone in any way to have any kind of independent self-existence. When that assumption is made, then all the follow-ups to it about changing, growth, decay, death, etc., all of that takes on real meaning and given experiences and given charge and given investment takes on an inordinate degree of importance. But can anything exist without everything else? Can, can there be any kind of independent abiding anywhere? Sometimes, in the deeper levels of meditation, the sense of the diversity and all the separation and independence and uniqueness which, which is accompanies it begins to fade away. It begins to fade away in such a way that when there is that deeper inwardness of absorption and balance and genuine fullness of psychological integration, the world itself doesn't keep making the kind of impressions of distinction that are familiar. That this has an effect upon oneself. That in beginning to see the world free of the diversity and in going deeper because one's not grasping this, seizing that, taking up this, rejecting that, then there comes to be a greater sense of unity. And the unitative experience which one may undergo certainly at the relative level in life can be truly changing. One can feel the unity of life. One can sense the unity of life. And in that unitative sense, not only in the real depth of that meditative experience does one feel it in the here and now, but important and perhaps even more important are the insights and the revelations which come out of it. Because if the revelations truly come out of it, then some of the distinctions which are made, this from that, comparing this and judging that, also begin to drop away. If life is truly unitive, the distinction of human beings from creatures and from nature begins considerably to fade away. If there's deep meditative experience, the hierarchy of structure and all that's made from top of the ladder to the bottom of the ladder, that also loses a reality which one has assumed and believed in for, for years, for lifetimes. So in the depth of a unitive experience, many of the assumptions, what one believed about life and about others and oneself, fade. That's what depth of unitive experience is about. But 
all this unitive experience in seeing oneness and harmony is, is relative. It has no absolute nature to it. It is not emptiness in the real meaning and beauty of what emptiness means. And so there may be within ourselves a movement which takes place in the depths of seeing of life from diversity to unity, from relative form to relative spaciousness, to disorder and disharmony, to harmony and order, but it's due to the quality and the condition of our heart, mind and being in its way of seeing. But it is not transcendent seeing. So in harmony and wholeness, and in, sorry, in um, diversity and in wholeness, we may see this diversity. And when we see this diversity, we say things are coming and going, they're changing. This was this, and then it changed, and then it became something else, or we became something else, or whatever. And we stop seeing all of these changes and so forth. We come to another level, and we see wholeness. But in wholeness... Easily the assumption which gets drawn out of wholeness is permanence. That within the wholeness of everything, there's this diversity which is going on. But the wholeness is an interpretation about life as much as diversity is. And therefore the basis for it is an interpretive way of seeing, personalized through the construction of the experience. In emptiness, as Saraputra, there is no form, there is no feelings, no perceptions, no mental activity, no consciousness, no eye, nose, tongue, body, mind, si sound, colour, taste, touch. What is Avalokiteshvara pointing to here? What is he saying here? Isn't there something say, saying, saying there that if one just looks at that, that bare-faced uh, um, bare picture, so to speak, it sounds like a, a philosophy of denial. It sounds like a philosophy of non-existence, a philosophy in which through some spurious form of inquiry, one is trying to, as it were, go into everything like with a, a, a force of concentration, as it were, to dissolve everything, to negate everything through a form of mind, a power of mind, a, 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 um, a bluntness of mind. And one wonders whether... That can be what the, the sweetness of the message of emptiness is. One wonders whether or not it's not affirmation 
of eye, ear, nose, body, tongue, mind, sight, sound, colour, smell, taste. Nor denial, which is important, because either of those are, are affected, of course, by how we're feeling, how we're experiencing, how we're looking, but rather the pointer to the understanding of emptiness, meaning that none of this can be a reference point. None of it. None of the senses. None of the varieties of, of experiences, etc., etc., because of the danger, one might say, the inherent tendency of mind to take an experience and draw a conclusion, an assumption about it and fix it. This is the way things are. And so our reference points in relative world, in conventional life, have a usefulness for us, have a validity. But our awareness and our, and our seeing into these areas of life, see, so important, see, it's just a relative value. It's a value shaped and conditioned by the way our mind is. And that this way the mind is looks at the world at different times in different ways. But the way things are, the way the nature truly is, that is questionable. So then, the sage continues. And he says, with these various, I'm interpreting now, that with the limitations that we see and the mode of our mind, that feelings, consciousness, perceptions, mental activities don't have any existence on their own. Have, have no power, no self-nature at all, always related to, interdependent upon. So with cognition, with consciousness, consciousness persists. It occurs when there is that which is cognizable. When the world is there, consciousness and the contact produces the idea, the image, the ex experience of the world. And when consciousness isn't there, then the world as such, as it's assumed to be, as it's believed to be, also isn't there. So the consciousness doesn't have its own right and the world doesn't have its own right, but in the dynamic of the two, it appears in a certain way and neither have their own existence.
And, in the, and, and then in the ongoing inquiry, Avaloka Shavara says, there is no knowledge, no ignorance. There is no extinction of death. There is no path. And when we allow ourselves in, the, in meditative awareness to see, and we say there is no knowledge, no ignorance, we may experience and f- sense blindness, ignorance. We may say, this is unsatisfactory. We may say, I wish to replace my ignorance about life with knowledge. And we may give a tremendous amount of time, care and attention to supplementing knowledge for ignorance. But when it comes to seeing into the nature of things, both of these, once again, are two modes of mind which move back and forth. And we may say, now I am alive, and once again assume my independent and personal and self-existence. And each time that I do that, there's got to be fear. There has to be fear with that. And therefore, I assume some separateness, some individuality, some uniqueness in some form or another. So my affirmation of my constant personal existence, means that I'm faced with its opposite. And I have to keep living with its opposite because I have assumed rigidly a view. I live with its opposite that if there is existence and it's self-existence and I assume that, then there must be fear of its opposite, which is non-existence, which is death. And the more that one tries to affirm, the more one is faced with the opposite. We say we, con- we are concerned naturally about dying people. And when we are identified with this, we see that every day we die a little. We are dying as much as we are living. And in our, in our seeing, well, what is it that constitutes, what is it that upholds the assumption of separateness, of uniqueness, of self-existence? And that's our way of seeing and looking, is to look at what one is holding to, clinging to. Where one is forgetting, form is emptiness. And in, in our inquiry, in our looking and giving this, this sense um, and stillness and silence and, 
and full seeing to life. Just as we look in and investigate so easily for us, the assumptions come and sometimes it's like there's a transference of them. We drop some level of assumptions because of what we see and what we, what we realise. We, we realise that some things are not worth doing, are not worth developing, are not worth getting um, um, cultivating and so forth. We see the emptiness of it. And so there are these, as it were, small realisations of the emptiness of some things, of some activities, in a to a degree, in a relative kind of way. But sometimes the transference which takes place for us is that we don't see the emptiness in spiritual assumptions. The emptiness which comes through the fixation of the idea, as Avalokiteshvara points out, the idea of a path and a goal, a path and attainment. The idea that there are obstacles or hindrances. It's part of the blindness. It's the word part of the belief that I've got to get rid of something or I have to get through to something. And we believe that. We assume that so that we believe that if we do something, it's going to make a difference as to the way things truly are. That it's going to have some, it's going to have some effect on what the actual true nature is. And so we become mystified by language, the language of path and enlightenment, the way and God or whatever it might be. Where does that all come from? Where do those views come from? Where do those opinions come from? How come they've taken a hold? How come they have, they have sprung into consciousness and there's been a cognition and a solidification around that cognition? And in not making much of anything, in not making much of what we interpret, in not, in not being employed in the language of hindrances and path and, and, and goal, then there is a freedom which is there. And that the world and the suchness of it is, un is unalterable. And we're not living then in, in self-deceptions, not holding and, and, and cherishing anything anywhere. And then form is emptiness, and emptiness is, is form. 
and the presence of sights and sounds, the presence of mental activity and its non-presence, the existence and the, the non-existence, the unity and the diversity. It can all keep showing itself. It can keep showing itself in countless modes and it can stop showing itself and it doesn't make any difference. All the Buddhas of past, present and future in connection with the Pragya Paramita come to this awakening. And it is in this awakening that the true compassion flowers utterly effortlessly. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings allow compassion to flower. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.